slowing you up. Come unto me, all you that are in that position. You're heavy laden. You're laboring. Come to me and I will let you have relief. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my, now the King James, maybe your Bible says it too. Take my yoke. That's not an egg yoke. That has an L in it. This is Y-O-K-E. That's not an oxen yoke, though that's closer. But that's not it either. A rabbi would have with him a, a school. You know, he's the teacher. He has his students. His students are his school. But they would follow him around like a little school of fishes. The rabbi would not just stay in a, a classroom or stay in a house with a, a, a bell that would ring at 8 o'clock every morning. No, the rabbi wandered. He traveled all around trying to add to his school, trying to add followers to him. And those who heard this rabbi and were attracted to his message and liked the way he put things, if you wanted to follow that rabbi, that's what you would do. You would tether yourself. You would attach yourself to that rabbi. I'm going to follow him now. Which is why Jesus spends the first couple of weeks of his ministry running around finding 12 guys saying, follow me. I'll be your rabbi. You be my school. And now he opens that invitation to all of us. Everyone who finds themselves heavy laden and burdened and looking for relief. He says, I've got it. Take my school upon you and learn of me. Because I am not a hard teacher. Not a strict teacher. Not an overly demanding teacher. There's expectations. There's requirements. But he's not going to break your back. Your back is already being broken. He's the relief. I am meek, he says. I am lowly in heart, humble. So come to me and you will find rest to your souls. For my yoke is easy. My schooling is not going to kill you. It's going to save you. My burden that I'm going to put on you is light. Who's going, to, who's going to turn that down? Anybody want to reject that? There's the door. No, don't leave yet. This is the sermon. It's for you. Who wants to turn that down? Is that not the most appealing thing you've ever heard? How many times have you been invited to something? Encouraged to join something? Told the great benefits of something? But there's always a catch. There's always something. There's always a but. There's always a yeah, but there's also. Or, well, the thing of it is, there's always something like that. You got to, you got to. You know, diet to lose weight, but you don't get to eat all the things you like, but you get to lose weight. Yeah, that's the good, but the bad is I can't eat all the things I like. You get to drive this wonderful car, but the bad thing is you have to pay higher insurance on it. You get whatever it is. Everyone knows there's a catch to everything. There's no catch to this. None at all. He's just offering you salvation. That's it. He's offering you pure relief from the world and its many burdens. Who's going to say no to that? And yet, people say no to it all the time. Now, some people just flat out reject it. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with his father. They want nothing to do with Christianity. They're poisoned in their minds. They're already biased against it. They hear the invitation and they just say no thanks. If they even say thanks. They just completely scoff, turn around and walk away. Okay, not much you can do for someone in that boat. That's just how some people are. But there are some people... Who almost obey. They get close to the cross, but they don't put it on themselves. They draw near to the Savior, but they won't enter his kingdom. As I said at the beginning, they like the idea of Christianity, but they're not so committed to being Christians and all the expectations and all the requirements, if you will, that come with faithful Christian living. Those people need to be prodded. Gently pushed, encouraged to come to Jesus because it's worth it.
as we'll talk about in this sermon. Some people almost obey, but never do. Why not? That's what I want to know. That's what I want to consider with you in this sermon this morning. Why won't some people hear that beautiful invitation that we looked at a moment ago and just run to the master who gave it? What's stopping some people? Something obviously is, or, or our auditorium, sans COVID, would be overflowing. We'd be knocking down walls and putting up pews in the parking lot. And that would be the case with every other church in America, in the whole world. Some people are rejecting this awesome, wonderful invitation. So why aren't they taking him up on his offer? Why aren't they coming to Jesus? If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, what, is, what are you waiting for? What's stopping you? Why won't you come to Jesus? Maybe you think your sin is too great. Oh, I've done too much. He won't take me. Well, you're wrong. We'll talk about it. Maybe you think you have more time. Oh, I like it. I'll, I'll, I'm planning on it, but just not right now. I've got to take care of this and that first. Well, you probably don't. We'll talk about it. Maybe you think there's another way. The idea of salvation is good, but this guy is saying this. And that person is teaching that. And if I do this, I won't have to do that. So I'm, I'm leaning more toward going over here and listening to this and going over there and doing that. You think there's another way? There isn't. And we'll talk about it. Why won't you come to Jesus? Is it because you think your sin is too great? Now, this might sound crazy to some people who maybe have never considered this, but trust me, there are people who think like this, and maybe you're one of them, who are so soft in their conscience, in their heart, so gentle and tender-hearted, that their guilt from all their past weighs so heavily on them that the prospect that their guilt can be taken away is terrifying. And they not only don't think they're worthy, they, don't, they wouldn't even know how to live like that. Because their guilt has come to define who they are in their personality. When I was much younger, way younger than Sean, when I was like in high school, okay, uh, I just became a Christian in the summer before my 11th grade, my junior year. So I only had two years as a Christian student. Uh, but in that time, I started making friends with a bunch of people, some of whom were Christians, some were Christians and not faithful, some were not Christians at all. So I made, made, finally, it took, it took my entire high school career. It took finding Jesus to finally find friends. So I started finding friends in my last couple of years. And there was one young man who was one grade above me. So he was a senior when I was a junior. Um, and he was a Christian, not faithful. And he lived a hard, just hard life. I mean, he did anything you could possibly name. Things that I didn't think you could even find access to in Bumblefart, Arkansas. He found access to in the middle of nowhere. I can't even give you the town because we didn't have a town where I grew up. So... He lived a hard life, but he also had a very soft heart and a very guilty conscience. And he would repeatedly call me and once every couple of weeks, if not more, to tell me all the things that he had done as if I was some Catholic priest to confess his sins to, but you shouldn't confess your sins to them either. But he would confess his sins to me. He'd tell me, this is all the things that I've done. I need you help to help me. I need you to pray for me. Of course, I would. We'd talk over the phone. I'd pray for him over the phone. But the, the concept that he never seemed to be able to grasp and the reason he would slip back into sin over and over was because though he would repent and God would forgive him, he was not forgiving himself. He could not appreciate the invitation of Jesus. Come to Jesus, he will save you. No matter how bright and glowing and obvious wall your sins are. Though your sins as crimson glow like a spotlight in the eyes of God saying, look at this sinner. If you allow him to, he'll wash those sins away. And that's a hard thing for some people to accept. And maybe you're someone like that. And you're contemplating your sins and you can't let go of your sins. And so here comes Jesus. 
And he is offering you the greatest offering you've ever heard before. The core of the new covenant. Quoted here by the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 10, but it originally came from Jeremiah. He was writing about it prophetically. Who says this new covenant is going to be written not on tablets of stone, but on your hearts and minds. It's going to be a personal relationship, a covenant this is. One in which your sins will be remembered no more. Your sins will be stricken from the record, that means. Now listen, God is eternal. God is perfect. God's mind is flawless and will never deteriorate with age because there is no age with God. God knows every sin you've ever committed. He hasn't just forgotten them in the way we use the word. He knows them. He doesn't hold them against you if you're covered in the blood. I know you've seen enough trial TV shows or you've sat in an actual trial then you know how it works. The one lawyer will say something he's not supposed to say and the judge will have to stop him and tell the jury you're not going to hold that against the defendant. That has to be inadmissible. That you can't use that against them. Well, he, they've already heard it. How can they not use it? But they're not supposed to. Now, sometimes they do, but that's a whole other thing. They've heard it, but it's supposed to be inadmissible. Can't use that against him. But he was there at the scene of the crime. Doesn't matter. Circumstances where we've got that information makes it inadmissible. When you stand before God on judgment day, your lawyer is going to be Jesus. And he has taken the punishment for every crime you've ever committed. He has borne the penalty for it already. So you walk into judgment day scot-free. You walk into judgment day innocent because he's already taken your punishment. And even though God knows everything you ever did, he sees in front of you Jesus Christ who took the punishment for everything you ever did. That's remember your sins no more. And that idea is too much for some people to grasp. And if that's you, here's the simple message. Forgive yourself. My hero, my mentor, David Riley, preached this, he's preached for decades at Marsilla, Bologna, Arkansas. He has this saying he'll say every now and then. He says, if God forgives at all, he forgives it all. If you're going to count on to forgive one sin, if you can expect him to forgive one sin, then he's got the power to forgive every sin. If he forgives it all, he forgives it all. Forgive yourself. I've had to hear those words. Have you? Come to Jesus. He will save you, though your sins as crimson flow. Why won't you come to Jesus? It's because you think your sin is too great. It isn't. Maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you just think you have more time. Now, this is, I think it's safe to say, a universal problem. No matter how old you are. There is enough going on in the world that's going to make you think, okay, I'm going to do this now and I'll worry about that later. We're constantly juggling our schedules. When you bring in Jesus Christ, it can be very difficult to get someone not just to make room for Jesus. He's not looking for wiggle room. He's not looking for a piece of your heart. He's looking for your whole life. And that's a prospect too tremendous for some people to grasp. And again, as I say, it's a universal problem in evangelism. But it's specifically a problem for a particular slice of the audience that a preacher has to speak to. Now, just to speak generally, I'll come back to that. Just to speak generally, the older generation, let's just be, you know, Sean and up, okay? But the older generation, you need to find it however you want. What you often find is you live long enough, you've seen enough, you've experienced enough, you pretty much are set in your ways, and you know how things work, and you know how you get along in the world and how things work. And so that kind of a mind, it, can, it tends to become calcified. It tends to become kind of solidified into, well, here's the way things are done. Here's the way we do things. And I'm not just going to up and completely turn it upside down everything I've ever known. And that's the challenge of preaching to so-called older people. 
is getting them to be unentrenched. Now, with the middle generation, it's a different ballgame. There's a lot going on. I'm busy, busy, busy. And you're asking me to find time for Jesus? I barely have time to eat. I barely have time to sleep. I'm not going to find time for Jesus. And you come along and you say, hey, you don't need to find time for Jesus. You need to find Jesus. And then you've got to find a room for golf. You find Jesus, you'll find time somewhere in there to sleep. Jesus is your life now. When Christ, who is your life, will appear, then you'll appear with him in glory, Colossians 3. Jesus has got to be it all. He's not a piece of your life. He's your life. And that people just say, well, I, just, that's, I can't. That's too much. I've got too much going on already. I'm too busy to make that kind of a change. But with the younger generation, and again, these are generalizing. The real challenge is getting them to understand that they're mortal. Because you are. It's, it's getting people to understand that you could die tomorrow. Now listen, no offense to someone in here who's 80 years old. But if I tell someone who's 80, you might die tomorrow, they're going to say, I know. You tell someone who's 40, they might die tomorrow. If they're honest with themselves, they're running around so fast, they consider it. Because they might just keel over from a heart attack. You tell someone who's 18, they might die tomorrow. And it's just hard to get them to grasp it. To appreciate the concept of eternity. Because once eternity begins for you and this world ends for you, that's it. There's no take backs. There's no mulligans. There's no do-overs. There's no one more shots. This is your one last chance. Fancy, don't let me down. This is it. This is all you have. And it's hard to get some people to appreciate that. Listen, um, I'll come back to that. Where's the phrase? Oh, the verse. Come to Jesus. Do not delay. Do not wait. Do not tarry. Enter in now at mercy's gate. Do not delay not to the morrow, lest your coming be too late. A deer, everyone listen to me, don't look at the screen, I'll get back to that. A deer is the fastest thing a deer has ever met. Right? Let's all just think about that. A deer has never been outrun by anything. Because the only thing that would be running at a deer would be running at a deer to eat the deer. So any deer that's ever gotten caught has gotten got, has gotten eaten, right? There's never been a deer who said, boy, I just got mowed down by a lion or I got mowed down by a Buick and I barely got away. So now I know that thing's faster than me. No, that's never been a deer. A deer has always been the fastest thing it's ever known. So of course it thinks it can outrun your Honda, right? You're driving along and you see that deer and you're screaming, boo! You stupid deer! But it stops and says, no, I can beat you. Because <laughs> it's all it's ever known. It's never known the idea that it could die today until something faster comes along and proves it wrong. Is that not simple truth? A young person is a deer. And so is an old person. And so is a middle-aged person. So is every person in between. We all of us could die tomorrow. And as much as we hang our hat on, it could never happen to me. Watch how fast I can run. Sooner or later, later life, life catches up. So go on now, you that say, I've got all these plans for tomorrow. I'm going to go into the city. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to sell that. I'm going to make a lot of money. You don't know. You don't know what could be on tomorrow's agenda. You don't know if you'll have it tomorrow. What is your life? It is a vapor. It's here for a moment and then gone. Just like that. You ought to say, if the Lord wills, I'll get it tomorrow. And then I may, if he wills, do this or do that. Every time I snap my finger, somebody dies. 
And it might be faster than that. Every time there's a snap, somebody dies. And they're not all 87, lying in their bed, shuffling off his mortal coil, peacefully, blissfully dying. They're not all 47, Sean, 47, healing over from a sudden heart attack. Some of them are seven. Some of them are 17. Because life just sometimes stops. And so if you're not right with God, when life stops, literally, you will regret it forever. Why won't you come to Jesus? Do not wait. Today is your chance. Is it because you think your sin is too great? Is it because you think you have more time? Last one, then we're done. Is it because you think there's another way? An easier way? I can promise you there's no easier way. Maybe you think there's a way that offers more of a challenge. You can feel like you've accomplished something. No, that's pride. Pride's not the way to heaven. The only way you're going to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And that is best summarized in John chapter 14. Again, listen to the song. I keep putting it up there. I keep forgetting I did that. Come to Jesus, dying sinner. Other Savior, there is none. He will share with you His glory when your pilgrimage is done. You're not going to find another Savior. He's not going to send another Jesus. He's not going to bring one Jesus for the poor person and one Jesus for the rich person. He's not going to bring one Jesus for the rich or, or for the... Uh, did I say poor and rich before? Yeah, rich and poor for the southerner or for the northerner, for the white or for the black, however you want to divide it. He's not going to divide it like that. For the lazy or for the, the hardworking, you're going to get just the one Jesus. You got just the one Jesus. That's the only one you're going to get. Other Savior, there is none. Now, if you listen long enough, you'll find all kinds of liars who'll tell you about all kinds of other Saviors, but they're liars. And they don't know my Jesus. Listen to my Jesus, John chapter 14. And I arrange these out of order because it fits my point better. But he says in John 14, verse 3, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He is, no one else. He says in verse 2 where he's going to prepare that place. I'm going to the Father. No one else is going to prepare this place with the Father. As a result, we can conclude that he is the way to the place. Where is the Father? Do you want to go to the Father? Jesus is there. He's prepared a place for you to be with him, to be with God forevermore. He is the way to that place. There is no other way. Now again, there's all kinds of people who will offer you that way or this way. But Jesus is very clear about what that way looks like. And unfortunately, that way is sometimes hard. That way is sometimes difficult. Straight, the King James says. Not with a GH, not straight line. Straight like constricting. Straight like narrow, compressing, hard is the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find what? It. Not the gate. No, everybody can find the gate. The invitation is there's the gate. That's the invitation. Come to Jesus. See, Jesus is the way. There's the gate that leads the whole way to heaven. Everyone can find the gate. It's finding the life that few find. Few there be that find life at the end of the way because they don't take the difficult road to it. The way is sometimes hard. The way is sometimes harassing, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and speak evil against you. All manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad because great is your reward in heaven. They do that to the prophets. They'll do it to you because you're going to follow me. You're going to walk that narrow way. But don't think few there be that find the narrow way. So while I'm walking the narrow way, there's no people around because few found the way. No, it's few find the end. 
Along the way, there's all kinds of people. Along with there's all kinds of evil people who are trying to knock you down, knock you back, knock you out of the way. They will harass you. That's what the word persecute means. They will constrict you, pressure you to not take the way. The way is hard. The way is harassing. The way is sometimes heartbreaking because while you're taking the way, you're going to look around and see people falling back. And you've got to let them go. Lord, are few going to be saved? They asked him poignantly. And he repeats his words, strive to enter the difficult way. For many will seek to enter in to life at the end, but will not be able. It's a hard, constricting, narrowing, uphill climb. But you can do it. Yes, the way is sometimes hard. Yes, the way is sometimes harassing. Yes, the way is sometimes heartbreaking. But listen, the way is worth it. But listen, even if you want to say it's not. Even if you want to say, I've lost all these loved ones who couldn't make it. So I'm going to give up too. Because it's just not worth it. If you still want to say that, it doesn't matter. Because it's still the only way. There is no secondary easy path for the people who couldn't cut it. This is it. He's the way. Whenever people say to me, there has to be some other way. I always think of my master in Gethsemane. You, you offer someone the invitation. You tell them what Jesus expects of them. And you explain to them the life and the blessings that are going to come at the end of that life. The hardships they'll endure to get to that eternity of glory. And they get focused, focused on and fixated on the hardships for the short term. And they just say, there must be some other way. Jesus wants you to do this and this and this and just be faithful and heaven's yours. Yeah, but there has to be some other way. And every time I hear that phrase, some other way, I'm reminded of my master who was so distraught in Gethsemane's garden that he fell on his face and he begged the Lord, there must be some other way. Please, is there some other way? If there is some other way, let this cup pass. And there was no other way. And what he was talking about was you. Being willing to go through this for you. Is there some other way I can save these people without having to endure all of this? And there was not. So he got up and he went the way. And then on the cross, he says to you, come to me. And you say to him, there must be some other way. He's going to tell you what his father told him. There is no other way. Come to Jesus. Come to him by believing him. By repenting to Him. By confessing your faith in Him. By being baptized into Him. By living faithfully for Him. Just be faithful. You're not going to be perfect. Just be faithful for Him. And then when He comes back, you can live forever with Him. Forever and ever. Amen. But you have to come to Jesus. Why won't you? It's because you think your sin is too great. It's because you think you have more time. It's because you think there's another way. It isn't. You don't. And there's not. So come to Jesus this morning if you have a need. Make it known right now as we stand and sing.